Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the inaugural pilot episode of How Did This Get Praised? Um, This is a pilot episode, so I just want to give a couple of disclaimers. Uh, This episode is going to be a little bit rough around the edges since this is our first go around it. So uh, you might hear audio that isn't entirely up to what your uh, very fancy standards might be when you're listening to the dailies. God help you. And so you might hear a little bit of uh, lacking audio, a couple of pops. I personally am apparently just spitting on the mic the whole time. Uh, Maybe I'm the only one who hears it. Additionally, since this is our first conversation, our pilot episode, uh, we ended up having a much longer conversation than we anticipated we were going to have. There was a lot to say about this movie. So a couple of things about that. One, um, some of the editing might feel a little bit choppy at points or a little bit quick. We wanted to make sure that we got as much... uh, conversation that was interesting and actually comprehensive as possible in the episode without forcing you to listen for too, too long. So uh, apologies ahead of time for any kind of choppy editing. We're going to continue to finesse, uh, you know, the way we time these out and our editing process. Uh, But we're new at this and we're just a two person team at the moment. So just forgive us a little bit as we kind of find our footing in this pilot episode. I hope you enjoy. Please follow us again. That's at praise underscore pod uh, on Instagram and Twitter and enjoy our conversation about Joker. Say hello to my new friend! You know how I know that you're gay? I am Iron Man. Say hello to my new friend! Patriot! 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 You know how I know that you're gay? Hello and welcome to How Did This Get Praised, the movie podcast that lives in a society. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Daniela Mazio and I'm here with my co-host. He's here. He's queer, and he's not a fan of beer. It's Stefan Carlson. Yes. Hello, Stefan. How are you? How are you this evening? This Sunday. I'm evening? good. I'm actually drinking, and guess what? what? It's not a beer. What? You I love beer it. so much. I've never I... met anyone. You just guzzle <laughs> them down nonstop. Oh my God, I love beer more than Brett Kavanaugh. It's like, <laughs> oof! Wow, that was it. That was a deep cut. I know. In many ways. Uh, it's really I, topical. I too am drinking. What are you drinking? I actually made a special drink for the podcast. Oh my God. What did you call it? Um, it's a puckered smile. Oh, that's. Uh, I feel like Todd Phillips would be really into it. He's into things puckering. That's at least clear. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a shot of vodka, a shot of triple sec, um, a half shot of lemon juice to give that pucker and then two shots of pineapple juice and there's a little bit of grenadine in the bottom for like the bloody gory mess this will undoubtedly devolve into uh before we get started i don't want to get too ahead of ourselves um a little bit about the show how did this get praised please do not sue us uh friendly folk from how did this get made they seem Um, cool they seem cool. Very cool. Um, a little bit about the show. How did we get praised? If you are a film lover of any creed, then you are probably familiar with uh, the quote unquote canon. 
aka those movies that all the most annoying people you know tell you you have to see. Maybe you've never seen them and you like to brag about that because you're a person with no personality. Or maybe you've lied about seeing them like I did anytime my hipster friends talked about The Breakfast Club in high school. I don't care about those people now, so I don't know why I lied about it. Um, Or maybe you did see them and you left saying, uh, what the fuck was that movie? Well, these movies are considered to be the greats for one reason or another. But we started asking, why do these movies get praised? So throughout each episode, we are going to take one beloved movie, whether a financial success, critical success, cult favorite, or film with some sort of legacy. And we're going to talk about two things, why we think this movie got praised, and is it actually any good? We're starting out with a doozy today. Um, Because after all, uh, who are we going to let decide what is good to cool as hell best friends who met each other in a high school film class, such as us? or a guy who counts Reddit threads as heavy reading. So how, how dare you call me out like that <laughs> this early in our show? We're a show that believes in nuance. We fall into both categories. Um, if you've ever loved a movie, despite feeling like it wasn't made for you or hated a movie that you were told is supposed to be for everyone, this is podcast for you. So thank you for tuning in with us today. Uh, I just want to do one last bit of housekeeping. So this is a, DIY podcast. So in place of the ads that you might be accustomed to hearing when you listen to your fancy podcast, such as <laughs> the rich folks at How Did This Get Made? Uh, <laughs> Stefan and I are selecting an organization, each episode likely a Chicago-based one. We are Chicago-based uh, that we'd like to encourage you to donate to. We are not affiliated with any of these organizations, uh, but we do support their missions especially as they work to combat real-world issues that are present in many of the films we'll talk about. And arguably, these organizations might do a better job than the movies themselves. Given the subject matter of today's episode, we do ask that you consider donating to and supporting Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness. This is a Chicago Southside-based Black woman-led organization that focuses on sustaining the mental wellness of Black women through building community, sharing information, and connecting Black women to quality mental wellness services. So uh, continue listening to learn more about Sister Afia, that's A-F-Y-A, and how you can help support. Additionally, uh, we'll donate for every listen $2 up to a total of $50. So only 25 people that have to listen for us to give $50 to Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness. Whoa. Um, So please support and continue listening. And now let's get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Uh, Stefan, would you like to introduce today's movie? Yes. So Joker um, is a 2019 film. Consistently cited as one of the uh, influences. Also, Todd Phillips cited as an influence on this movie. Um, This movie is kind of largely forgotten. uh, Kind of had a resurgence, you know, with a lot of restoration of films from around this time. But uh, it did kind of start this monster movie trend. And actually, a lot of the folks who were involved in the production design, as well as the costume and makeup for this movie, would start to determine... Uh oh my god. So yes, we're talking about the 2019 11-time Academy Award nominated film Joker. Before we get into it, Stefan, mm-hmm. let's let's just do a check-in. This yeah. movie deals a lot with mental health. I think it's mm-hmm. important that we do a little bit of check-in. How are you doing? What what uh how are you surviving during the 
pandemic and these oh. uh this very this is a very quote unquote timely movie, wouldn't you it say? Is. As someone who has struggled with mental health both in the past and currently because of the horrible globe-spanning, yeah. yes, state of everything is a good way to put it. Um, I, I I haven't had any um, any problems with anything in the way that um, Arthur does in the movie, but I feel that I'm still very experienced in areas of anxiety and depression. That goes on my CV too very experienced in anxiety, <laughs> depression. Um, We're all going to have great resumes after yeah. this. <laughs> Does well with Zoom calls, uh, working remotely and holding it all in yeah. um, whenever necessary. Examining the faults in our society and that we do indeed live in said society. Oh God, we have to take a drink every time we say the word society during this <laughs> podcast. We're not going to last long if we do that. So yeah, not not very similar experience to Arthur. Yeah, kind of a spiritual similar experience in some ways, not every way, but would you say that in spite of you having a mental illness that you've never felt compelled to commit horrible to atrocities? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I oh. can safely say that. That's really Isn't interesting. Isn't it weird? I Isn't didn't weird? I, <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. Did not think that was possible. Oh my god, how am I going to how am I going to sympathize with you? I just, I just can't. Um yeah. oh my god, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Well, um I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. Um I'm glad but, you're How are you? How are you doing? You. You know everyone asks why I'm here, but not how I'm here. <laughs> No, I'm good. You know, same thing. I, I, I too have a uh, trademark mental illness. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I also had a, a knee injury of sorts over the summer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I'm in physical therapy now. So I'm actually uh, mobile again. I can do things like take walks and imagine not even being able to take a walk or venture outside during uh during these unusual circumstances. So, um, no, it's very good. Um, and otherwise, you know, trying to stay plugged in just that sweet mm-hmm. spot amount where you know what's going on, but you don't want to kill yourself every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm, I think I'm succeeding and I'm excited. I feel like that was Arthur's problem was that he was <laughs> plugged in. You're right. You're right. He was too plugged into what was going on because he was so political. He wanted so hard not to be political, but he just, it, he just couldn't help it. Uh, much like the movie. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think, I think we're both here and I think we're both surviving Yeah, is a word uh, during these extraordinary times. These uncertain times. These uncertain times. The car commercials will tell you. It's great. It's all great. All great. All right. Well, speaking of all great, uh, let's say, let's start talking about this movie. Uh, I first want to get into, so this was your first time watching the movie, right? Mm-hmm. We watched this last night, actually. Yes. Um, we virtually, there was no, uh, contact beyond, uh, the connection of two hearts and minds. Um, beautiful. thank you. Um, and so what was, what was your impression going into the movie before you'd seen it? What was your impression about this movie? It's been about a year since, well, since it made its premiere at Venice Film Fest. Um, Well, I thought the trailer looked really interesting when it first came out. The trailers featured a lot of montages of Joaquin Phoenix, Arthur, dancing in slow motion, kind of gritty crime going on, the city's kind of 70s-ish 
gangster vibe almost. Mm. And I thought it was going to be like how the Joker got his start as the crime king of Gotham. And boy, mm. was that not what I got. Um, yeah, I I really love that trailer. I remember this is like movie trailers are really a fine art. I don't know if you share this with me, but I... Oh, yeah. Like if a movie trailer is really good, I will just rewatch it sometimes in my spare time. There's some movie trailers that I'll still watch just because they're so good. And the first trailer for Joker is honestly one of my favorite trailers of all time. It's really good. It's set to that song Smile, which is also in the movie. Um, and you're right. It's like the juxtaposition of the violence and the, the music and the montage. And it, it does. It seems like a really exciting, dark movie. And um, it's not. <laughs> um, my impression before going into it. So I, I, I saw this movie shortly after it came out in theaters. I was fairly excited about it. And we'll get into this a little bit. Before it even was theatrically released, there was already some controversy about the movie kind of coming out of its film festival premieres. And so I had already had this impression. I saw this with my boyfriend, Joe, uh, who you're very familiar with. Um, I love Joe. We, we love Joe. Uh, Joe Kerr, am I right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Joker, I hardly know her. Um, But yeah, so uh, we'd seen it together. He really did not want to see it. He was humoring me. And so I I was looking forward to it. Um, And so we'd seen it at the Logan Theater uh, in in Logan Square, Chicago, Illinois. uh, One of my favorite little theaters. And uh, we had done a double feature. This is like one of the first dates we'd had in a while. Um, I was about to be very busy with work. He was about to be busy with school. So we did a double date and we saw, or not a double date, a double feature. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Ad Astra, which I couldn't tell you more than one thing about that movie it is the most forgettable movie I've ever seen. Um, and then uh, the next movie was Joker and there was a little bit of time in between. And I, I had had some stomach problems this week already. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling kind of kind of iffy. And so I had to use the bathroom. Uh, the movie was like about to start in maybe like a few minutes or the trailers had started. Joe went to get the seats and I went to use the bathroom. I had these really bad stomach cramps that just like set in like pretty much right when the movie, the movie showtime was. And I had, and I, I'm sorry, this is going to tell you what kind of podcast this is going to be mm-hmm. right away. I had some of the worst diarrhea (laughs) i've had in my entire life wow um this was an onset of diarrhea this had lasted it really started with joker i can i can say uh confidently do you you think it was an omen a sign of things to come you know correlation is not necessarily causation but i do i do so that that was my impression going into joker yeah that in joker arthur fleck doesn't take a giant giant diary shit at some point and then like (laughs) or something wait actually tell me do you think do you think there is footage somewhere that they just do you think todd phillips just had the camera on joaquin phoenix (laughs) and at one point joaquin was like hey hey come over here come over here you gotta get this you gotta get this and then he just he just has the worst fucking bloody diarrhea. It's just, wow. it's just terrible. And and I then and then I really Todd, hope not. Todd was like, you know, man, this is this is the pure definition of raw. And I like I like what you're doing here. Oh my god. Let's hope not. That sounds <laughs> Let's awful. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, so what a great transition. So let's talk about it, you know, before we get into details about the movie itself. So, Stefan, what do we think of Joker? Um, oh, I think we think, I think that it's a complete mess. <laughs> Much like bloody diarrhea. Yes. Um, um, I think it is very ambitious. It wanted yes. to do a lot. It wanted to say a lot. And everything I believe that it wanted to say and do got so muddled in the writing and the dancing <laughs> montages that um, it basically amounts to nothing happens. Oh, my God. You know how they say they say don't make a trailer that gives everything away. Mm. Who would have thought that the trailer montage of him dancing <laughs> was just like filled with spoilers? <laughs> Um, yeah, basically the climax, every every notable point of plot progression is signaled by a dance montage. Um, would you say this is better or worse than Black Swan? Uh, is that even a question? Is that even a legitimate question? Um, yes, I asked it. I okay. Are you questioning my legitimacy? No, I'm just I'm questioning how you could even compare Joker to Black Swan. Well, dancing. Oh, dancing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you think, do you think that was Joaquin Phoenix or do you think he had a double? <laughs> like, I got Natalie Portman. Yeah. Been. Like, <laughs> do you think he got uh, sued too? Uh, um, do you think he hooked up with his dance instructor and got married after like Natalie Portman did with Benjamin, his, Benjamin Millie, Millie PA? No, no. He's with oh. Rooney Mara. Uh, Rooney Mara would make a great dance instructor. I just feel yeah. like. Um, no, they seem like a good couple, though. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you like if you like withholding, sure. it makes sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it that. It makes sense. She is the patron queen of um of uh telling breaking men's egos over over a meal um <laughs> in like f- a five minute scene <laughs> um bo- between both the social network and her, just like decimating ego male ego. Um, we should really get back to the movie, uh, before we get, Maybe, oh my God, how many tangents can we get into? Um, so yeah, I mean, did you, uh, we'll talk more later about what we did like about it, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know where to start with this movie, Stefan. And I've been, I, I've, I've seen this movie before and I, I have been thinking about it and I, I don't know even where to begin you're right it is such it's such a mess mm-hmm. i um i don't know what else to say I, I i do like you said that it's trying so hard to say a lot and i actually <laughs> i mean do you think it's trying to say anything or do you think all of those ingredients are there i think it wants you to think it's trying to say something but it has no desire to really say anything at all it wants it both ways <sighs> god does it um, there's, there's no better place to start than with the cold, hard facts. So let's jump into this. Let's start, <laughs> let's start dissecting. Are you ready? <laughs> do yeah, you, I just, do you I need was to make wondering another... if in the background we could get like the law and order. Bum, bum. <laughs> when you said cold, hard facts. Maybe cold, we'll hard remember. facts. Yeah, I feel like we should do that. We should. We'll remember to do that. Make that a in thing. editing, yeah. We'll fix it in post. Uh, so <laughs> there's no better place to start than with the cold, hard facts. So 
let's get into it. Let's start to dissect everything about the movie Joker and why we think this movie got praise. Just kind of the really basic details of Joker. So um, this movie, it premiered just under a year ago. It premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, August 31st of last year. Um, and then it had, uh, it was also, its North American premiere was at the Toronto International Film Festival early September. And then it was released October 4th. Uh, so this is almost uh, entirely a year ago. This movie has been in the world's conscience for almost a year. Uh, this movie was in theaters for 42 weeks, which is 10 weeks uh, short of a year. Uh, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. And so following its nominations, uh, it was re-released in theaters uh, January 17th of this year, not that long ago. Question, Stefan, do you think perhaps that was the beginning of the descent of 2020? Uh, actually, I think that was when Cats had its theatrical <laughs> run. But I mean, they coincide pretty closely, so. They do. It's like, a, it's, a, it's a very small window. Um, another fun fact about this movie's release, on November 16th of last year, it was screened at the White House for President Donald Trump. Is it? Who reportedly, that makes so much sense, actually. He reportedly enjoyed the film. Um, I did not pull any quotes from him because I don't like to put that mess into my Google, but I'm sure he said something about it being a very fine film about very fine people. <laughs> On both sides. On both sides. Um, uh, <laughs> um, upon this movie's release, there was a lot of controversy. Largely, a couple of, of reviews had come out from the festival circuit that had already expressed some concerns that this movie was glorifying a certain type of person, white male rage, white male violence, incel culture. Not uh, coincidentally, by my opinion, both these reviews were written by women. Mm. Um, so this started to spark a lot of outrage, either that this was a movie that was glorifying violence or it was going to be a movie that this was some snowflake social justice warrior type of, you know, outcry um, over with just a movie. So what's interesting is as uh, this talk started to escalate over the first couple of weeks after it premiered at Venice on September 18th, 2019, the United States Army, the, the fucking army, <laughs> distributed an email warning um, service members of potential violence at theaters screening the film and noting the Joker character's popularity among the incel community. Uh, there was a separate memo that revealed that the Army had received credible information from Texas law enforcement regarding the targeting of an unknown movie theater during the release. This is all from Wikipedia, by the way. Mm. Um, but according to Deadline Hollywood, FBI and the United States Department of Homeland Security found no credible uh, threats surrounding the release of the film. And, uh, along with all of this, uh, the film also didn't play at Aurora, Colorado, mm -hmm. um, which is where the movie theater where the 2012 mass shooting occurred during uh, screening of uh, the Christopher Nolan movie, The Dark Knight Rises. Families of those victims signed a letter to Warner Brothers uh, with the request um, and uh, some theaters would prohibit moviegoers from wearing costumes when coming to see the movie. Masks were like prohibited. There was heavy police presence at these screenings. It is very interesting right now to think of police presence around a movie uh, where you're worrying about essentially what we would consider alt-right violence. Um, so that's something we can we can get into a little bit more late, mm -hmm. uh, later. 
And just kind of the last thing about just the facts of what happened around this. Uh, Warner Brothers did release a statement regarding the movie. Their statement is essentially saying gun violence. (laughs) The first line is gun violence in our society is a critical issue. Um, But they extend uh, their sympathy. They say that they've donated to victims of violence, including Aurora recently. And they've called on policymakers to enact bipartisan legislation to address this gun violence epidemic. And then this is the last part of their statement. They say, at the same time, Warner Brothers believes that one of the functions of storytelling is to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues. Make no mistake, neither the fictional character Joker nor the film is an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind. It is not the intention of the film, the filmmakers, or the studio to hold this character up as a hero. Mm. So, um, what I find interesting about this statement is the idea that, and, you know, this is following some reviews, obviously, that are interpreting the movie in a way where it's saying this character is portrayed as a hero. We can get into whether we think the movie does or doesn't. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a lot of secrets about where we might stand with that. Um, but uh, just looking at these facts, it's really interesting that when the, when the production company or the, you know, the distribu- distribution company itself has to say this is not an endorsement, it means that there's room to interpret the movie as an endorsement. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just that this is already the beginning of a very messy story of this movie and the conversations around this movie. The one thing I can say that they are correct on is this uh, movie provokes conversations around complex issues um, because I certainly don't really know where this movie falls in a lot of them and we'll probably be talking about it forever. True. So there is a memo citing clown cells, which is apparently the subset of... (laughs) The subset of incels that uh, look up to the clown community. Um, <laughs> the clown community? <laughs> yes. Wait, it's, it's a subset of the... So supposedly, so here's the thing. I tried doing research on this, but Reddit has done a lot of restrictions recently around, you know, some of their subreddits, yeah. uh, especially based on hate speech. So a lot of the subreddits that are referenced when looking up things around this movie and this controversy just don't exist anymore, or at least they're not, they're quarantined, they're not findable. I couldn't confirm if clown cells or incels or incel love for Joker was actually real. I mean, so what was the, what was your awareness around like this whole incel or this alt-right violence controversy around the movie when it came out? Um, very little, actually. Really? Um, I, I had just known that it was big with um, kind of those kind of dude bros which i guess translates to incels but i didn't i didn't put that together (laughs) at the time dude bros who say like we live in a society (laughs) and that want to think they're deep that's and apparently clown cells which is just the most comedic ass name i've ever heard for and apparently the way it was described clown cells existed before joker these are guys who love insane clown posse that's what i assume pennywise the clown i mean give them a clown they're there um so yeah they're also proud of their incelness too they are proud combine the two i you know i did a lot of reading about incels 
this week more than I would care to, especially because there, there is actually no, nothing I could find that like pointed to an actual incel based interest in this movie. Kind of like you said, I've seen more of an impression of just a certain type of dude that I know, you know, either personally yeah. or in the ether who, is, yeah, is like, we live in, in a society ether. or like, like, sh- man, shit's really bad, man. Like, <laughs> did you hear that like Amazon like isn't paying its workers enough? Yeah, I'm totally going to boycott them. Um, okay, cool. Enjoy your like Everlane boots or whatever. Um, <laughs> critics uh, were actually pretty mixed about the movie. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, yeah, 68% with critics. It's not certified. A lot of, of the quote-unquote certified fresh critics did not like it. But 88% of the audience did. Metacritic, you see kind of the same thing. It got a 59 with critics, but with users, it got a 9. And then on IMDb users, again, it got an 8.5. Uh, So this movie is pretty much doing straight, like, if you're looking at a grading scale, it's doing like Fs, Ts at best with, you know, critics, professional critics. I mean, some liked it. A lot of bloggers who are considered uh, professional critics liked it. But um, the audience, you know, it's getting a B, B plus, A with most audience members. It's really struck a chord with people, you know your average person who saw it. And obviously, you know, some of that success, however, you can say the Academy Award voting is actually measured. Some of that translated in spite of not doing so well with critics, mm-hmm. it's still translated to Academy Award nominations. And so this was a praised movie, if not necessarily critically, with um, really beloved by audience members and obviously a very much talked about movie when it premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, in spite of not necessarily doing well with critics in the long term, when it premiered, it got an eight-minute standing ovation and won the Golden Lion Award, which is the most prestigious award at this festival. Wow. It's not common for a big, you know, a movie that's kind of made to be a big blockbuster hit, you know, to some extent at least, to win something like the Golden Lion Award at, at Venice. And so... When this movie first came out, it really, it really hit well. And then there was this controversy and then it really helped develop the buzz around it because people were talking about it for like a month and a half or, you know, two months before it came out. And, uh, and then, you know, you get these mixed reviews, but you have, it's really beloved by audience members. That's kind of our basics about the movie itself. And so we've got, you know, the other things around it. So there's the big, there's the Joaquin Phoenix thing. So tell me, do you love or do you like really love Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> I generally enjoy Joaquin Phoenix as an actor, I'm going to say. Okay. I, I'm not super into him, but I think he does a really good job and whatever. He's a pretty general. I agree. He's, he's worked. I was looking through his filmography. He's worked with like some really good filmmakers. Mm-hmm. He's worked with, you know, uh, Ridley Scott and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, who's one of my favorites you know, Spike Jones, you know, you and I heard the Spike Jones movie that Joaquin Phoenix is in, arguably more of an incel movie than Joker. True. Um, that's, I think, shared one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah. It's really interesting to see him play such like a soft-spoken character in that movie and then do Joker. Um, <laughs> it's it's range. It's range. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, you may or may not know, he won an Oscar. He pretty much swept the whole award season for Joker. Some considered this was mainly just 
not necessarily just for his performance, although his performance is really well applauded, but um, also, you know, just one of those overdue things. Uh, interestingly enough, in October of 2012, Phoenix labeled the Academy Awards as bullshit. Um, and then he later apologized and he was like, no, no, no. I mean, they give an important platform for many deserving filmmakers. And then a few years later, he clarified that he's just really uncomfortable receiving accolades for his work uh, when he considers filmmaking process to be a collaborative one. Do we that's think quite, we see... <laughs> that's quite the journey from point A to point B. Do you think he's good in this movie? Sometimes. Sometimes he's good in the movie. Mm-hmm. Other times, I think it's too much. Yeah. I really like the more subtle aspects of the performance when you do get to see them. Um, some moments that are highlights for me is when he's talking to um, who we find out is Bruce Wayne. Well, I guess we would know it's Bruce Wayne. The Wayne child at that Wayne point. Wayne child, yeah. At their front gate. And he he hands him a magic flower set. And Alfred, who is disappointingly not de-aged Michael Caine, comes over and is like, what are you doing with this kid? He's like, just trying to make him happy. Magic. And something about the way he said it just communicated so much like it was creepy, but it was like kind of hopeful, but broken. I mean, that's really that's the best. Like, that's his performance in her is like, is this like he's kind of childlike. He is but not necessarily like a man child and he's hopeful, but he is a little bit creepy and a little bit. Yeah. Like a little bit, just it's sad. Um, another scene that stands out for me is when he's in the comedy club and he's watching the comedian on stage and he's writing down physical notes of what's going on and like, what's funny. And you can just kind of see it on his face that he's trying to like process what is getting applause and what makes things like what the basic concept of comedy is and like in between the fits of laughing that he has inappropriately which again kind of feels like a little it's a little too much at some points you see just the subtle facial movements his body language it's very well done it is i that scene hit me hard as an aspiring comedian. Yeah. I do remember the moment that I realized that sexy things are always funny. <laughs> I forgot about that on the note. Uh, it's actually maybe my, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's kind of got, he's kind of got Jennifer Lawrence syndrome in this movie, mm. which is like, someone's like, Hey, play mentally ill. And he's like, all right, mentally ill means like one 100 at everything yeah <laughs> and uh I, you know, I can say um i have quiet moments <laughs> uh as a mentally ill person i don't know and i guess this is a mental illness you know this obviously isn't a guy just dealing with depression yes or anxiety but um i agree it's it's very turned up at some points and you know the the backstory <laughs> was talking about him taking a giant bloody shit uh on camera um this is true every time i'm not prepared (laughs) this is true that um there were a lot of moments in the movie are just scenes that they would just have the camera on joaquin he would just like be dancing or would put himself in the fridge that's not a scripted (laughs) thing that's a thing that that seems so great that's a Joaquin scene. Um, and so this seems like a, a environment where it was, it was really about going method. 
And unfortunately, I think the problem with that is, uh, what are you basing your method on? You know, what are, what is your basis for that? Mm. It is a lot. It's committed. I will give him that. It is a really committed performance. Yeah. Um, goes for it. He goes for it. And he he's nominated alongside, and he wins, but for the Academy Awards, he's nominated alongside Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Leo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, and Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Uh, I have seen three of those five movies that uh, had Best Actor nominations. Um, is that the same for you? Do you yes. see Pain mm-hmm. and Glory or The Two no. Popes? No. Did anyone see The Two Popes? Uh, the two popes did i'm pretty sure is the two popes different from the the young pope and the new pope uh i think so i think so isn't what happens in the young pope is that there's a new pope and then there's two popes um maybe if anyone listens to this uh please write in and tell me uh what the deal is with the the young pope and the new pope and the two popes i mean uh, among these five i i'm i'm really not familiar with jonathan price's work so it's just hard to even say in like a lifetime achievement sort of thing you know what we're looking at here but i mean i don't know if any of these performances at least that i've seen strike me as like i mean it doesn't seem like it was a year where i was particularly impressed by lead male actors and mm-hmm. you know i don't know if you yeah, no, way. that's really fair. Yeah, no um, one. I mean, Adam Driver is really good in Marriage Story, but I, I, not, I do. It's not like a, it's not like a transformative performance. No, and he, you know he's got time. He certainly has time. So I mean, if we're if we're really awarding based on going for it, <laughs> you got Joaquin. Yeah. This is um, what is it? Is this his fourth nomination for an Academy Award? Yeah. So he he was nominated for Gladiator, Walk the Line, and The Master before this. Really shocking, I think, that he didn't win for Walk the Line. I don't know who he was up against, but just him doing a biopic, I think it's really surprising that... Uh, yeah, because um, Reese Witherspoon, yeah. yeah, she won. Um, so Seymour Hoffman won for Capote. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So... You know, if we're looking at a really long career where, you know, it makes sense that this performance is lauded because it's, he's not phoning it in. This isn't a Leo in the Revenant situation where it's just like Leo is doing the most in the Revenant in a very different way than Joaquin mm-hmm. doing the most in Joker, where it's like you can tell Joaquin really cares about this role. If you read any of his interviews around this movie, he's obviously very excited about the potential of this character study. And so, you know, I can see I can see someone who's very private, who's had this lifelong career, who's not won the award yet. And then, you know, this is the moment. So that's kind of the Joaquin story. I, another fun fact about it, the editor um, had said that uh, he was actually a large part in editing the movie. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So the editor said, I think probably he was in the edit room more than any other actor that I've worked with. What was interesting to have him come in is that he would always be looking to get the feeling from what was on screen to mimic the feeling that he had on the day he shot it. Mm. It was a really interesting perspective to have in the room. Of course, you're putting together what you're putting together, but then to have somebody saying like, I live that moment and here's what I'm feeling. It's another interesting perspective. So kudos to Todd for having him come in. And Jeff Groff as the editor's name. So I, I actually, I really like that. I think Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that's a good way to approach it. And it definitely, it's hard, to, as much as I don't always love the performance, it's, it's very clear that he's 
thinking really, he's really thinking about what he's doing here. And it's, maybe it's not the Jennifer Lawrence syndrome of just screaming, but you know, he's actually Mm. thinking about, he's being live in this moment. So that's, that's good old Joaquin. Joaquin, Joaquin Joker. (laughs) Any other thoughts on Joaquin Phoenix? I don't think so. I think just very, I think it could have been a great performance, but it's just okay, given the context and some of the more, the louder moments. Yeah, I agree. So the next person then to get into. Yes, I, I've been waiting for this one. It's, it's, it's our boy. <laughs> our, boy, our boy, our, our boy, Todd Phillips. Woo, Todd! A, acclaimed director <laughs> of cinema. <laughs> so Todd Phillips is nominated for best director. This is really controversial. He does not win. Um, beloved uh, meme, uh, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho wins for Parasite. Todd Phillips is nominated amongst Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Regardless if you think these movies deserve to be in here, this is really like a, a, no, like a nomination pool full of heavyweights and Todd Phillips. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and Comparing the, Bong Joon-ho and Todd Phillips oh is just like, uh, it pains me. It, it physically pains me. I'm really glad that we quickly got over. There was that brief moment when he got the nomination and we were like, oh my God, he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really glad that uh, we quickly didn't have to worry about that. Um, it was very close. It was more, it was closer to being Sam Mendes game, yes. but um, very happy for Bong. Again, one of the last good things that have happened in our lifetime. That was a great night. Oh, that was a great night. And we won money. <laughs> Oh my God, we won our Oscar poll. Yeah, Stefan, Stefan and I uh, were at an Oscar party with uh, my friend and uh, coworker, Brittany. Shout out to Brittany. Uh, and uh, she had a great Oscar party. And uh, we decided to go in and do ballots together so that we could kind of, we would be mostly the same on a few things. And then like when it came to the heavyweights, that's when we're like, all right, I'm going to get this one and you're going to get this one. So that we really, we we had our bases covered. I love indulging in the uber white liberal tradition of Oscar parties. Like my parents have held one every year since college. It's, it just, it makes me, it, it makes me feel so connected to my roots. I love them so much that when I was a kid, I had a Kids' Choice Awards uh, party for my friends because I saw Oscar parties. I thought they were really cool. I was like, yes, we're going to wine and dine. (laughs) See who... We're going to wine and dine. We're going to see who uh, gets slimed. We're going to wine and dine and slime. And (laughs) we're going to see who uh, had the best goddamn Nickelodeon performances. That's amazing. Um, I do. I really love the white liberal tradition of Oscar parties. I do not like the Oscars, except when um, movies like Parasite, which, you know, I think you'll probably hear in almost every podcast we do for a while, how much I love Parasite at the very least. Uh, I really fucking love that movie. Yeah, um, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. But uh, yeah, so one of the controversies though, around the best directing uh pool is uh you know as we continue with oscar so white one these are all white men except for bong joon ho and uh two these are all men um and that not a single woman in a year where you had uh lorraine scafaria who did the uh hustlers and Mm. you have um greta gerwig Gerwig, who did uh little women and then uh you have who did portrait of a lady on fire portrait of a lady on fire didn't qualify 
technically. Oh, well, it might have for directing, but it was never going to have a chance. I was thinking of Lulu Wang, who did the film. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So no women are in this. And I think for a lot of people, I mean, if you're not interested in mobsters or Scorsese, The Irishman doesn't really feel like it should be in there. 1917 Mm -hmm. is, you know, another war movie. There's a lot to say about Quentin Tarantino. So I think like a lot of these choices uh, were a little bit frustrating to people. But um, I think especially with Joker, which uh, already had this air of like, this is an alt-right incel movie uh, around it. And Todd Phillips, who is uh, the director of the three Hangover movies, Road Trip, Old School, uh, Due Date, School for Scoundrels, <laughs> Starsky and Hutch, War Dogs, and, and some documentaries as well in his early career, mm. that he had made it in in this best director race and no women and no women of color made it in. People were pretty frustrated. I mean, do you want to say what you think about the directing or do you, do you want to just talk about Todd Phillips for a little bit? <laughs> um, Todd Phillips, whose acting credits include Foot Lover, Gang oh, Bang Guy, oh, Mr. Creepy, and Barry. Is it like a self-insert yeah. thing? Yeah. But he doesn't do it for all of his movies. Um, just a really gross guy, apparently, in his gross movies. It's like grody M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) So, well, we can talk about Todd Phillips because he is known for these comedies, for the Hangover movies. I don't know if you know this. He actually has received an Academy Award nomination before because he had written, co-written the story for Borat, um, uh, which is a movie all about uh, doing things to people without their consent. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... uh, when, when you write the story for Borat, is it the overarching story? Is I, it each encounter that Borat did? Um, I don't know. <laughs> All I know is somehow the movie got an Academy Award nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm. Thus, Todd Phillips got a Academy Award nomination. Um, interestingly enough, he produced uh, A Star is Born. Bradley Cooper's oh. directorial debut, but was not in the list of producers who were nominated for Best Picture for A Star is Born. So I believe this is Mr. Phillips's second Academy Award nomination. Uh, no wins yet, but, you know, who knows? That Lifetime Maybe. one might be coming. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Hang- we'll Hangover see. Hangover four. <laughs> yeah. But um, this is, Todd Phillips is like kind of that guy for some people, you know? Like he he is the guy, I think, if you're, I mean, who is he meaningful to, you know? Do you know anyone personally who's like, I love Todd Phillips? No. No? But maybe it's just not our crowd. It's not. I mean, what do you think of The Hangover? I've never actually seen The Hangover. You've never seen The Hangover? I've never seen any of them. Oh, no. I, I feel know, like I was I don't at know the why age. I'm saying that like I'm sad for you. I feel like I was at the age, too, that it would have been perfect for me to see The Hangover. Yeah, with so... The demographic. I was like 13. The Hangover comes like 10 years after he he writes and directs Road Trip, almost 10 years and old school. And so I feel like they're kind of like three generations of Todd Phillip bros, which is gotcha. like the ones who like his really early comedies were like Will Ferrell's Naked or whatever. <laughs> and then like the Hangover era. And then those who like whatever he's trying to do now, which is, I guess, move away from comedy. 
So his first departure from, you know, like the hangover genre, the first movie he did after the hangover part three was war dogs and adaptations, kind of a black comedy drama of, um, of a news article. This is also the beginning um, around uh, this time in like 2014 or 2015, him and Bradley Cooper partner and uh, start a production company called joint effort. And they signed a deal um, like a first uh, look deal, uh, I believe with Warner brothers. And so they kind of start this collaboration. So uh, Bradley produces War Dogs and then uh, Todd produces Star is Born and then Bradley uh, Cooper produces Joker and apparently had a very heavy editing hand in Joker as well. This is his first departure from comedy. So here are a couple of quotes about Todd Phillips or Todd Phillips said on comedy. This first one, this is from IMDb. So I'm not really sure when or the context of when this is said. But Todd says, comedy is so subjective. You could be in a room with 400 people laughing at a joke and you could just not think it's funny. You're just sitting there like, am I in the twilight zone? Why is everyone laughing? It's such a personal thing. People have such a personal, visceral response to comedy. Okay. Well, Joker comes out and he explains his departure from comedy. And he says, go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. Oh, no. Uh, There were articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the fucking funny guys are like, fuck this shit because I don't want to offend you. Oh, no. Seems like a departure. Yeah. (laughs) Comedy from the guy who was like, sometimes you're just like, I don't find this funny. Why does everyone else find it funny? And now he's offended that people don't find him funny. And so uh, he kind of he makes this long term argument where he's like, All of his movies, whether it's The Hangover or Joker, are about guys making bad decisions that lead to mayhem. That's what all of his movies are about. He says, oddly, it's almost too similar to me. I love chaos. So bad decisions lead to mayhem equals chaos. And I just love chaos. I love it in my own life. I love it in movies. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. And he's right. You know, he's right. You can't make comedies anymore. You certainly can't make comedies like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Knives Out or Parasite or Jojo Rabbit or What Men Want or Crazy Rich Asians or Game Night or Palm Springs or The Farewell or Dolomite Is My Name or Black Klansman or Eighth Grade or The Favorite or I, Tanya or Sorry to Bother You or The Death of Stalin or Lady Bird or The Big Sick or Disaster Artist or Logan Lucky or Good Boys or Booksmart or Girls Trip or Blockers or Cats anymore <laughs> and so he's got a point there uh yeah. you just can't no, make comedies because people yeah. are so offended uh you know and uh it's not like you would ever get nominated or even win an award for writing a movie about uh, a young hitler youth um whose yeah. imaginary friend is hitler no, so that, that would just happened. offend it would offend people too no because like anita Sar- anita sarkeesian will show up at the premiere and demand it be turned off because she was so fun. <laughs> that's where, that's where society's at. Oh, society. Todd so Todd Phillips is very upset about woke culture and he associates it with this movie after all of kind of this incel stuff is talked about. And the thing that I keep wondering is like, do you think, how much do you think he's like instrumental to the success of this movie? Not, mm. not his actual like okay. artistry, yes. but just like, him as a person as a figure yeah as a figure his career these things he said and like this penchant these raunchy comedies like old school like road trip like the hangover these very masculine you know for all intents and purposes i think offensive is not 
a great word to use because it's mm. not very nuanced, but the, the Israel and Sense Purposes offended movie, offensive movies or ones that he views as offensive. Like how much do you think that plays into the success of Joker? I just, I really didn't get that at all from Joker. Mm-hmm. And nor did I really hear about it too, too much when Joker came out. Um, but it could definitely boost the film's perception in more dude bro circles as like fuck PC culture. Like you said in the beginning that it was screened for Trump and Trump really liked it, which makes again, like so much sense actually. I, it's weird because I don't think this movie is like pushing boundaries of like taste, I guess like not in the way that Borat does. No, yeah, not at all. But it certainly is. It feels like a troll. Like, it kind of feels like you got trolled at the end. I don't know if that's his intention, but it almost feels like, I mean, this quote of loving chaos, loving bad decisions leading to mayhem, (laughs) leading to chaos, it just sounds like a troll, (laughs) like a guy who just likes to troll people. Can you explain that a little more? Why you think, why you read it as a troll? Well, it's like this movie, ultimately, it doesn't mean anything, right? In the yeah. same way that Joker's like, I'm not political. This movie both is so political in that it uses like all of these trigger words. And I don't mean trigger as in like, I'm triggered, but trigger as in like, it 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 alerts someone who identifies that word with something mm. to their preconceived notions. So, you, you know, you have- Like this, a dog whistle? Yeah, these this dog whistle. You, you have this coded stuff. I mean, he's not- He's not an incel per se, like he's not identified with this incel culture, but you have this whole subplot with the neighbor and you yeah. know, this Zazie Beats character, which by the way, I love Zazie Beats. She deserves too. better. Mm-hmm. She deserves far better than this movie. And, you know, it's like, why even include that? You know, if, if not like this added thing, mm. you have these political uprisings and this kind of like this eat the rich and fuck the police nature, which triggers like these like antifa you know like images yeah but at the same time you have this guy who you know is like i don't care about politics i i just don't want to be kicked down anymore you know this like don't tread on me attitude and so it is it's like all of these dog whistles for these different ideologies but says nothing about them yes like forces you to project whatever your thoughts are onto it either for utmost praise or outrage i think more for outrage and if to me it feels like even though i don't think it, the way he talks about it, it doesn't seem he he enjoys the controversy around the movie but at the same time he's going off and like yapping his mouth to vanity fair saying like this fucking woke culture mm-hmm. and it's hard not to take that quote and if he's saying he wants to make this movie because he's done with woke culture and you know he can't make a comedy anymore this movie feels like you have to like kind of project that some of that thinking is in his directing is in his reasoning for the choices he's making in this movie i don't know for sure no i i feel that it feels like a troll to me i can't i can't decide if it's an intentional one but i read it as intentional yeah i and I think that gets a certain type of praise from a certain subset of people who do think, you know, I do think the guys who say that wool culture and PC-ness <laughs> is uh, dumb are the same people who do say they're not political and then go on to say very political things. Yes. Um, and so this movie does kind of feel like it's, it's a troll for trolls 
and that they're like, they did it. They got, they got the FBI mad. They got the police mad, but they also got the feminists mad, you know? And there's something about intentionally outraging people that I think is really applauded by at least some group of people now. Do you you think you're giving Todd Phillips too much credit? (laughs) Because that's what I, that's how I read it at first. I was like, Todd Phillips just doesn't, it's like a mess. He's trying to put in aspects of both sides here and he just doesn't want to comment. And yet he's created this political thing. So he does want to comment. He's saying he doesn't, but he doesn't know what comment he wants to make. He just wants to be controversial for the hell of it. Well, that's what I'm saying though. But like, it's so clear. Everything he's putting in here is intentional. To what means? I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what this movie is about. <laughs> is like the simplest way of putting it. But I guess going back to the question, why did, you know, why did this get praised? I mean. You can't talk about it without the Todd Phillips thing. And I wonder if if some other guy, some guy who does not have this history of very, you know, this guy who's worked on Old School and Road Trip and made all three Hangover movies and is producing Project X and contributing to Borat. If he doesn't have that film history, do you think like all of these things are projected onto Joker about, I mean, certainly the final product of it, I think the way the character is viewed maybe doesn't change. But do you think like the noise around the movie changes if it's just like some guy who made like a decent indie movie and they're like, mm-hmm. here's a deal. Here's a DCEU deal. Like, do you think, do you, how much of, the yeah, success that's of this movie do you think is attributed to like this pretty much like this, this, filmmaking history of trolling i guess i wasn't overly familiar with todd phillips before this so Mm. i didn't like even before recording this now i didn't really associate that but i could definitely see that contributing to the hype or noise or the target audience even it feels like a lot of the same guys who like argue that the hangover is a dark comedy are the same ones who like argue that joker is cutting social commentary (laughs) and i can't even tell if like that itself is a troll but i guess maybe this this is our first episode so this is maybe not the most coherent approach but there's there's something about that that feels like it contributes to the success of this movie and maybe the interest to have todd phillips in the best director academy nominated pool of like a provocateur basically Mm. who has now stepped away from these provocative comedies to do this dark gritty Scorsese ripoff tribute whatever (laughs) um I think you're right I think I'm probably giving him too much credit (laughs) that that is an interesting perspective on it though about the academy purposefully doing that because of that because of him as a person instead of the film that actually maybe film itself too but so there's one quote from the movie that i actually want to bring up the end monologue at the climax of this movie is you know when when he's going off about society joker arthur is going off about society and how you know he's been wronged and Mm -hmm. uh robert de niro's character this talk show host murray is like they're talking about these murders that arthur did um and arthur says i'm not political i'm just trying to make people laugh Comedy is subjective, Murray. Isn't that what they say? All of you 
the system that knows so much, you decide what's right or wrong the same way that you decide what's funny or not. And it's just hard for me, to, especially with this quote about like saying the reason people don't do comedies, comedies don't work anymore is because all of the funny guys are like, fuck this shit, I don't want to offend you. That that seems like that's supposed to be the thesis of the movie. Yeah. It it feels like Todd Phillips' self-insert character. Right. And so the, the Joker. And maybe that's why I'm fixated on like Todd Phillips, him himself as a figure. Is this movie successful without him just being who he is, like regardless of whatever his directing finesse is, because of this self-insert, this thesis that is like, why does society decide what's ethical? Why does society decide what's funny? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God, we've been talking so long and we haven't even gotten into the meat of this movie. Um, we've talked about acting Todd Phillips. There is some really remarkable cinematography and set design, I think, mm-hmm. that you can say is really reminiscent of, uh, you know, 70s gritty New York. Um, the score is one of the most interesting things. The movie did win for best original score. I hope I say this right. Hilder Gunatatir. Perfect. I think I did it. Um, we, we looked it up beforehand. We did look it up beforehand because she deserves the respect. Yes. Uh, she won. I believe she's the first and only woman to have won best original score. This is oh, a really? Really dominated. Yeah. I mean, this is like, and this is the same field too, where you'll get the same guys every year. You know, you're John Phillips, mm-hmm. you're Alan Silvestri, you know. Um, and so she won. I have to admit, I the score doesn't strike me when I see this movie. No. Um, but I still think I think this is really phenomenal and very interesting when you have this really masculine heavy movie that one of the awards it took away was actually a big win um for a woman. Um and she also, I believe, conducted uh kind of the score montage that happened uh when they do like a combination of historic mm-hmm. scores that she had conducted at, at the Academy Awards. So that's such a dissonance know, <laughs> the rest I, of the movie. Wow. I know it's such a masculine heavy movie. I think we're about to get into this because, you know, we can talk about Joaquin and his performance and, and I, Todd Phillips is an icon, but I think really what has made this movie successful and the things that folks have talked away from it is the conversation. We've already had a bunch of conversations on this podcast about it. What is this movie about? There are a lot of politics in it. There are some really interesting things with race in it uh, that are almost inexplicable. Immediately. Immediately. Immediately, like first frame. (laughs) And uh, really at the center of the conversation about this movie, and I think is at least on a superficial level, the main reason people uh, applaud this movie is its depiction of mental health and mental illness. We are going to get into that and really start to break down this movie um, and Mm -hmm. how we think these things contribute to its success and its praise. But before we do, here is a quick word about Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness. Marlo. Marlo, how do you feel about Joker? (laughs) (laughs) We have to include that. I feel like Marlo meowing. She's just trying to imitate the score of the movie. <laughs> 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 
Hello, listeners. We'd like to take a moment to tell you a little bit about Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness, a Chicago Southside-based Black woman-owned organization that works to sustain mental wellness for Black women. According to their website, Sister Afia believes that together, Black women across the African diaspora can sustain mental wellness through connecting to resources and supporting one another. They support their mission through mental wellness education, resource connection, community support, and mental wellness merchandise such as coloring books and journals. During a pandemic and through escalation of state and federal sanctioned violence that targets Black, Indigenous, and people of color in our communities, mental health and wellness in these communities is beyond essential. We encourage you to support Sista Afia by visiting their website at sistaafia.com. That's Sista, S-I-S-T-A, Afia, A-F-Y-A dot com. I'm probably saying it in a very white way. I'm feeling a little bit like Ira Glass right now, minus uh, all of the terrible parts. Um, <laughs> that's sistaafia.com. You can join their mailing list, learn more about their services, and donate to help support these essential services. We hope you'll join us in supporting Sista Afia. Black Lives Matter. Black Women Matter. Black Mental Health Matters. Da, da, da. Hey! Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. Hey. Da, 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 da. That reminds me of uh, moves like Berg. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like uh, really dead town. Bloomberg. Bloomberg. <laughs> uh, uh, we are, uh, we're back here. Yeah, welcome back. We're uh, we're talking about Joker. I hardly know her. Oof. And, uh, we're here. We're talking about Joker. Yes. The 2019 11-time Academy-nominated film. Uh, we talked a lot about you know some of the technical aspects, um, some of the uh, history of some of the folks associated with the movie, and how that might have contributed to some of the, its success. But I think the real uh, the real meat here with Joker is the content of the movie itself, which mm-hmm. evidently, based on its really uh, its resonance with audiences, especially more so than critics, uh, there's something about the content of this movie that read as you know as really profound to people. So we're going to get into it. We have, I think, many thoughts yes. Um, yes, about do. some of this, and uh, but there's. A lot of political themes in this movie. Well, political is a loose term. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of symbols in this movie and moments that might make one think of political commentary. So should we just fucking jump into the political protest aspects of this movie? Yes, let's go. All right. What what you got for me? Where do you want to start? So I think we want to start with the question is, is Joker, the character Joker, framed as a sort of everyman folk hero? And if he is, is he, which side of the political spectrum is he appealing to? The alt-right, the far progressive left, 
or some sort of combination of both. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't hate this movie, but this really gets to what's infuriating about this movie because Arthur Fleck says many times, especially in this climatic monologue that we talked about a little bit earlier of, you know, what feels like a self-insert from Todd Phillips. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide what's funny or not. And he says he's not political and he's not trying to send a message. And initially, like on paper, and I would have to like actually read the screenplay, on paper, you would think that what this is going to be is it is about how you know, a political uprising, or maybe not a political uprising is in the word, but, you know, mayhem, essentially. Like, this is about this guy provoking mayhem and how maybe being apolitical can provoke mayhem. And that being, you know, there is no right and wrong. It's just about, you know, doing what you're supposed to do and anarchy, essentially. Mm. However, there is so much telegraphed about, like, you can have these protests go on without telegraphing so hard what their beliefs are. This is a kill the rich movement, mm-hmm. as a newspaper headline says very explicitly. That I actually I have that scene pulled up in yes? the script because I wanted to talk about it. Okay, great. Um, I could read the whole scene. Go if for you it. Want. Oh, yeah. Okay. So exterior comedy club, Chinatown Street, night. Arthur and Sophie walking out of the club. Walk past the newsstand a wall of Chinese-language newspapers mixed with local papers and tablets, screaming headlines about the three Wall Street guys gunned down on the train. Arthur stops and stares at the headlines. Close on headlines. Subway vigilante. Yuppie slaughter. Killer clown on the loose. Sophie. You believe that shit? Fuck him. I think the guy that did it is a hero. Three less pricks in Gotham City. Arthur watches her walk for a beat. She looks great, even in front of the mounds of garbage bags that line the sidewalk. A cab rolls fast. In the back seat, someone wearing a clown mask stares back at Arthur, holding his look from him. There's so much. I mean, here's my gripe. I I am interested, and this is actually something that I never thought I'd be bringing up the movie The Hunt on this podcast, but I'm going to talk about The Hunt. Let's go. Because The Hunt is a movie that actually, in in a lot of ways, caused a controversy before it was even released, right? Because Trump and Republicans saw the trailer for this movie and they were like, this is about liberals hunting Republicans. And it, it, it sort of is, but the movie, the movie takes, like, it, it takes jabs at both sides. Mm-hmm. And it, it does so by just... It, goes so aggressively in both directions, depending on who the character is. But it doesn't, like, it clearly, I, I don't even know how it does it, because I, the movie ultimately wasn't that memorable, but um, it, it finds a way to have commentary about both sides. And I think the problem of Joker is it doesn't have any commentary. But yes. instead of being, it could be a commentary about being in the middle, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, how both sides are a little bit crazy or a little bit, you know, aggressive. But the problem is, is that it makes you empathize (laughs) with both sides more than it actually critiques either of them. Mm. I would argue it actually critiques 
the right or, you know, I guess the elite class more than because one of the reasons you're supposed to empathize with Arthur theoretically is because, you know, he's not wealthy Him and his mother are, are seeking wealth and access to power via Thomas Wayne. Uh And, you know, there's all this about the disenfranchised and these rich pricks. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't want me to think that we should be killing the rich, why do you make all of the rich characters such fucking assholes? And where you have a scene where Arthur kind of cathartically and brutally murders three of them and then is a super confident badass after and like an a total glorified anti-hero for pretty much the rest of the movie. And I'm going to argue it's not the rest of the movie. Arthur is a glorified anti-hero beforehand. And I want to get into an interesting thing I noticed while watching this movie, which is camera angles and camera levels. Mm. Because if you have any familiarity with the vocabulary of filmmaking, which someone of such distinguished, you know, filmography, (laughs) Todd Phillips theoretically does, (laughs) your camera levels and the angles in which your camera is looking at the person in the foreground will tell you a lot about who is in power in the scene. We almost never look down at Arthur, even in the beginning. Even when people are berating him, the camera level is always below him, looking up at him. Pretty much throughout this entire movie, before he theoretically makes a turn, and I'm going to argue he doesn't, this is who he always is, before he makes a turn, he is portrayed as above everyone. That no one is actually above him, that instead this is just a gestating anger. I think this is really indicative. He has this fantasy where he's at in the, in the audience for the talk show. Right. Uh And this whole time as he's talking and the whole conceit of this is that he's, he's basically showing off how nice he is, what a nice guy he is. You know, he takes care of his mom. The entire time he's doing this, he's the only one standing. He's standing above an audience of folks sitting and the camera is at a lower level angled up at him. And from this moment in this in this fantasy, you can tell that this is not a fantasy of being loved by everyone. This is a fantasy about being above everyone being and then adopted by a man into power. Yeah. yeah. And so, and this is my problem is this movie is so critical of an elite class. It doesn't give you much room to empathize with them, except maybe being like, yeah, Thomas Wayne, it's fair for him to punch a guy who inappropriately and privately confronted his child. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, these three pricks are, har- are harassing a woman on a train and are, are, you know, torturing Arthur. And we're supposed to be, you know, I, I, I don't think we're supposed to hear Zazie Beetz character be, le- say, three less pricks in Gotham City and be like, wow, what a bitch. Yeah, she's the worst. <laughs> and so it's like we're we're supposed to be mad about, about at the people who hold all the power and yet we are watching this movie is has arthur in every scene and we are focused in on him so this is through his perspective and in his perspective he wants to be above everyone he wants uh. to be in power that is his aspiration is to be in power he wants to be an elite and so i, I this is just like the <laughs> the tip of the iceberg of like the problems this movie has about like it's it's messaging it is infuriating and my first thoughts on it 
was, I don't, I believe, I first thought that maybe it was just because this movie is a mess, um, <laughs> structurally, <laughs> that it got so kind of mixed up and confused that it didn't know what it wanted to say. So it said everything and tried to appeal to everyone, ending up appealing to no one. And that could also possibly explain the mass appeal that it has in its entirety, that you see that people sort of grapple on to whatever facet of this movie they it's confirmation identify bias. with. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right, because then we get the other side, right? Which is the other half of the people who are awful to Arthur, supposedly, who are... um shall we say, people of color, maybe? What? <laughs> Women. What? And so... Uh, yeah, how dare Zazie Beats tell Arthur to get out of her apartment when she's talked to him, like, one time? Oh, my God. So, here's my big question. So entitled. But, yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> Actually, I have a couple questions. Yes. First of all, is this an all-cops-or-bastards movie? <laughs> it can be, I think, if you want to read it like that. And ignore some things. And ignore some things, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, and here's here's my theory. So the FBI sent out all of these memos that incels were going to fucking shoot up the movie theater because they were just so, so riled up <laughs> watching Joker. But there's, there's no evidence that this was going to happen. Do you think the FBI painted Joker as an incel alt-right movie so Antifa's wouldn't watch it and get any ideas. That's such a five-head galaxy brain theory going on that I can't even begin to comprehend. I mean, like, if that is what happened, then... Geez. I mean, you have a movie, it's actually, it is so crazy. First, someone who sees a movie trailer and is like, my life is threatened. It is actually bonkers to me that Trump saw this movie and was like, it's a very fine movie Mm -hmm. because you think that ending wouldn't terrify him, (laughs) which maybe is to your point that you're just, if you see this movie and this is success, you're just going to see what you want to, Mm -hmm. how you watch that end as the man who is probably, you know, whether it's earned or not, whatever, but is threatened on a daily basis is, you know, with vitriol spewed at him and about him that he sees this end where a group of people are literally killing police officers and uh, threatening the lives of this man running for mayor and, you know, these political powers Uh and saying, kill the rich. And then he's like, that was a fine movie. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that also appeals to Trump's populist nature. Um, He could easily see those protesters as his people. I think. Well, this is... I think that's another thing about the movie, too, mm-hmm. is you could see those protesters as either ACAB protesters or you could see them as conservative protesters during the swamp. Well, that's true. I didn't even think about like the drain. I mean, because that is some of the messaging of conservative protesters, too. It's this also anti-government thing, you know, like when uh-huh. we storm the Capitol with AK-47s, because, yes. you know, there's going to be martial law that's going to make you wear a fucking piece of cloth over your face how dare they well so there is one interesting thing so some of the research i didn't i didn't share yet in our earlier conversation so when this movie was released there were several protests worldwide anti-government protests that appropriated this movie 
uh, in Lebanese protests in 2019 to 2020, there was uh, some graffiti artists who painted a mural of the Joker holding a Molotov cocktail. And then uh, during the Chilean protests, the phrase, we are all clowns, which is adopted by Gotham City uh, protesters, uh, was written at the foot of a statue. And then in France, during the yellow vest protest, firefighters donned Joker makeup and set themselves on fire as they fought in the streets against the police. And then in our own home turf, um, and I'm just going to credit this now, a lot of my info is coming from Wikipedia. That was almost a direct quote from Wikipedia. Thank you, whichever editor put that on Wikipedia. I appreciate you. Wikipedia is the best. But this is uh, this is from the Sun Times, and this I was aware of on our own turf. Um, in the recent George Floyd protest that happened mm-hmm. in Chicago, there was a man from the Pilsen neighborhood who had set a police car on fire, who was wearing one of the masks from the movie. Um, and he, he was a white man. And yes, this is that's what of, I was going to ask. And and so I guess you know, coming full circle to answer your question, you say, is this movie? Does it lean right? Does it lean left or somewhere in between? This feels like the white moderate movie in that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's anti-government. It's, it's pro, very much pro-freedom to do whatever you want, whether that's to protest the government or uh, tell bad jokes or whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. And, um, you and know, to not be political. And to not be political. And again, we were saying, like, how many dudes have we heard say, I'm not political, but, um, oh you know, I'm tired of all of these thugs in the South Side. Yeah, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> Maybe that this is this movie is successful because if you are far to either side, you see yourself because this movie does go so far in each direction. And also, if you're someone who prides yourself on na- not taking politics seriously, you can project that onto this movie too. True. And this movie is one for all flavors, unless you have intelligence. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh shit. Oh my God. I'm, I'm sorry. Someone's You're gonna get slammed. You're someone gonna get I like slammed. is going to listen to this and be like, I love this movie. It's so deep. And they're going to be like, wow, well now Daniela thinks I'm an idiot. And I would never say it to your face, but yes, oh my um, God. this movie's not that deep. Uh, it's just put everything into it. I mean, it's provocation for the sake of provocation. Well, should we, while we're talking about the political elements of this movie? Yes. Do we dare unpack what is happening racially in this movie? I don't even know where to begin. Um, well, I mean, we could begin at the at the opening shot when Arthur, who is twirling a sign, um, like it's framed pretty pathetically that he is twirling a sign as a clown at a going out of business sale. I'm going to say for someone who apparently does not understand social cues, he's very good at clowning. And I, really I'm sorry, good at clowning. I'm starting to think it's not a mental illness. He's just, <laughs> it just isn't funny. Um, so he's twirling the sign and out of nowhere, this group of kids comes and takes his sign. Hoodlums. Hoodlums. Yes. Um, the film later goes on to describe them as animals. <laughs> They take his sign. Uh, he chases after them into an alley. Uh, they beat him with the sign. The sign breaks, and then they just beat him. And there's a really long, uncut shot of him laying on the alley, kind of either like curled over in pain. And I want to say, 
I just want to say again, in this moment, this is one of the early moments where we're supposed to be like, oh no, poor him. The camera is on level with him. We are not looking down at him. That's true. But anyway, continue. Um, And all of these kids are, uh, they're people of color. Um, So it it just, he goes back to his clown agency um, and he meets up with all the guys in the locker room after their day of clowning. Um, so, uh, Randall, a uh, fellow clown, says, uh, you okay? He says, I heard about the beatdown you took. Fucking savages. Arthur says, it was just a bunch of kids. I should have left it alone. Randall searches through his messy's locker, going through all the bags inside. Uh, no, they'll take everything from you if you do that. All the crazy shit out there. They're animals. Arthur says, my mother says that people nowadays lack empathy. Randall, what's empathy? Arthur, it means, like, feeling for other people. Like sympathy, kind of, but different. Those lines um, weren't in the movie, were they? I don't remember them being in the movie. And then he, he hands him a gun anyway. Uh, <laughs> but definitely him saying animals and savages was in the movie. I would have lost my mind if like 10 minutes into the movie, a character said, what's empathy? <laughs> but we're not supposed to like Randall either. No. And this is where, again, it gets confusing. It's like, we're not supposed to like Randall. So if anything, him calling this group of kids savages and animals, we're supposed to be like, ah, fucking asshole. Like, as if he's like one of the Knives Out family members. We're like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's what those people say. But then beforehand, there's like the bus scene where he is trying to just cheer up a young black kid. And the mother's like, can you leave my son alone? And then his social worker is a black woman. The person at Arkham Hospital is a black man. <laughs> and then there's the scene where he's dancing to a Fred Astaire movie. And there, this is a, a rare mixed race number from Shall We Dance, where there's a group of African-American musicians. <laughs> and initially, like, this movie could have been a movie that really identified class. And it seems like it's trying to. And I would say to an extent, it's actually fairly successful there, you know, in the, yeah, like eat the rich. None of the rich people are really portrayed in a sympathetic light, but it seems so intentional that these are all people of color. It seems really hard to ignore. Almost everyone who we are at least supposed to perceive as wronging him is a person of color. And, mm. and Zazie Beetz, uh, yes. who, what happens to her? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, that was the weirdest part of the film for me, was Zazie Beetz's character arc. I'm sorry, what character arc? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, she's, she meets him in the elevator. It's kind of a nice interaction. She's clearly, like, kind of reaching out towards him a little bit. Um, and then he goes and makes out with her all of a sudden. He follows her to work, and he confronts she confronts him on this, um, but not really, I guess we find out. It's not the real Zazie Beats. It's like figment of Arthur's imagination. Do you think she did really confront him? And But he imagined the like, oh, they're making out now? I, from, the way, from the way I read that scene where it's revealed in the apartment, they had no contact past that first interaction in the elevator. Like, he might have followed her, but she didn't notice. Or she didn't care to come. Uh, that's more upsetting. <laughs> I just because Arthur doesn't talk about anything in that confrontation except the gunshot to the head pantomime. 
which is what made me think that. What's interesting is she seems to actually be fairly familiar with him because she's like, is your mother home? Is your mother all right? And like the mom doesn't seem to leave the apartment. So like they, that family has a reputation in the building at the very least. Yeah. I feel like she would know them and know him and know that he's a little, he's a little uh, bad with social niceties. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I feel like the elevator scene came from was just her trying to like, connect with him a little bit yeah i my biggest thing is i don't understand if this isn't supposed to be an incel movie (laughs) why have this arc at all yeah why does he need to have a love i mean there's so many ways that we are told he is crazy that i don't know why fantasizing a whole making up a whole relationship that isn't there uh is like added to tell us he's crazy and i don't know why if are we supposed to feel sympathy that he never actually had a relationship that he was deprived of a relationship only to immediately think he's going to kill this woman and then not know because apparently Todd Phillips did shoot a scene that showed she was fine and watching the Murray show, but he was like, but that's not from Arthur's perspective. So we're going to cut the scene. Mm. My mind didn't even go that he was going to kill her in that scene. So that's you interesting. What did you think? Just that he was going to leave and it was going to be weird. But that makes sense that you might think that he would kill her. I mean, I don't know what else he does. I This movie has a weird thing with race. And, you know, I don't even know how to deconstruct it because it's it, like most things in this movie. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> but like Arthur's in like the back of the bus a lot. Like when he's getting scolded by the black mother, he's sitting behind her. I'm like, are we supposed to think that Arthur is like part of the civil rights movement? Like, Did Arthur march, march for March on Selma? March for the really ungrateful black people in his life. He's just that good of a guy. Maybe again, it's another thing where it's like, if you're a progressive person, you see all of these black characters, these people of color, and you're like, that's great. Look at this diversity of characters. And then if you're far right, you're like, look at these fucking savages yeah. and animals. They're and- so blatantly negative. And it's, I, it's everyone. I know. Ugh. Especially black women. It's like yes. pr- predominantly black women. It's a social worker. It's Zazzy Beats. Uh, the the mom on the bus. The mom on the bus. Is it? I also why the fact that two actors from the amazing show Atlanta are in this movie it makes me so sad. Who else is? Uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. He's the uh, administrative assistant at Arkham. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. They both deserve so much better. <laughs> well. Just from that, even that first scene of those kids, like there was not one white kid in where it could have easily there, where you'd expect there to be white kids because of Hollywood. And if you were a movie such as, I don't know, Parasite, not to cite that movie again, but a movie that does well with class and race. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess not race, but class. Yes. You would have some sort of commentary that maybe these people of color are also in the same way, I mean, murder is not really comparable, but in the same way that Arthur feels the need to lash out, maybe this is the cycle of people who are all at the bottom lashing out at each other. Mm. But there is no empathy painted towards these characters, except yes. maybe feeling like, oh, Zazie Beats is a mom. 
or she, <laughs> she, she didn't do anything. Um, and there's no empathy towards these characters. There's really, other than kill the rich messaging, there's no, like, if we really want to compare, Parasite does this really great thing with stairs, right? Where, like, you literally have the folks who live upstairs and the folks who live downstairs and then the folks who live, like, really downstairs. And, like, again, like, counterintuitive filmmaking, uh, Arthur always, he has to go up the stairs to get home. Uh-huh. The work and his commute is below where he lives. And then he has to go up. And it's only when he's like in trouble that we actually see him going down the stairs. And, you know, you could interpret that as maybe ease. You know, it's harder to go up than down. Uh-huh. But uh, there's so much that is in here. The ingredients are here. And it's just not, they're just not utilized. It feels purposefully underutilized. I know. <laughs> Todd Phillips. He has another quote about the release of the movie and kind of the controversy around it, besides the whole woke culture thing. And and this is an inter- interview with The Rap. He said he's surprised at the backlash towards the movie, and he thinks it's because outrage is a commodity. Okay. <laughs> and he That's called, the most Todd Phillips answer I've ever heard. And he called critics of the film far left. So, and again, that's where it comes back to, like, I even though there's some far left messaging, it's hard to think that like there is actually any of this in this movie because he's so clearly upset with like leftist politics. Uh I don't know. It is really weird. I was thinking about how I'm after discussing this film with you uh, in depth as we have, I'm starting not I'm more interested in it instead of writing it off completely is how I was feeling after mm-hmm. first viewing it. Um, and I think we can look at how this film deals with mental health as maybe a, an area where there could be a little bit more than first What appears. What? All um, right, you're going to have to pitch this to me. <laughs> I think it tries. That's such a low bar. <laughs> I was trying. I think it tries. It, it it tried to do to portray mental illness in a way that wasn't insanely terrible. I guess I see what you're saying. The biggest thing that sticks out to me in in favor of the mental health portrayal is the 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 deliberate uh, inclusion that one of the reasons Arthur spirals is because uh, mental health services got cut mm. from the city. And he got cut from his meds. And he got cut from his meds and from being able to talk to someone. Although I would argue it didn't seem like he really utilized that element of a mental health treatment plan, but, you know. But not couldn't for that everyone. be a comment on the system, mental health, public health system, because his social worker wasn't well, great? Actually, can we can we talk about her for a second? Because yeah. when I first saw the movie, I also was like, <laughs> maybe we're just going to keep contradicting one another. But when I first <laughs> saw the movie, I also was like, yeah, she she's very bored. She doesn't seem very interested in him. He's, he says, you never listen to me. But actually, on second watch, I I actually I backtracked on that a little yeah. bit. I do think there's obviously some sort of malaise with that character, um, which I'm sure comes from. Yeah, like you were. No one's giving you resources. You're assigned, but you can't actually really make progress with a mental health plan. 
But from the get-go, Arthur just approaches her. I mean, she's asking questions that like my own therapist has asked me. Uh-huh. And Arthur already approaches her with like this wall up of like, I'm not going to give he's you He's writing that. her off immediately. Yeah. And granted, you know, part of that is just, we don't know what this relationship has been. We're solely basing it off of Arthur saying, you never listen to me. But also, as we know, he's an unreliable narrator. Uh-huh. And so like on first watch, I think I was like, yeah, like fuck this lady. But she doesn't listen to him. But on second thought, I was like, I don't, this could be a guy who has also rejected having proper mental health treatment. He, she also says he's been to the hospital before. We never find out. Actually, she says something to the effect of like, do you remember, do you want to talk about why you were in the hospital? And then I don't think they actually ever talk about it. Do they? Let's see. And have you thought more about why you were locked up? Arthur says, well, I suppose I was mentally ill. How's that? Well, my mother thought I was mentally ill, so she had me committed. Did you feel mentally ill? They've been saying that since I was little, so who knows? Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. It just, I mean, it seems like a combination of things. Like, this is actually nuance. (laughs) Yes. Say in this movie. That's another part of the mental health aspect of this movie that I think really stands out is the issue of his mother, that I think is a big thing we can talk about. It's so cloudy. I think in the movie, you get that flashback sequence of her in Arkham Asylum and she's, they're trying to pass her off as delusional, but it feels like Thomas Wayne is kind of, could be setting that up and manipulating her. Right. And well, and then we get the sense that this isn't actually a flat. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily well done from a directing standpoint, but I do think it's, you're supposed to get the sense. This is Arthur's imagining of what this conversation was, especially if we're going to go by, we can, we couldn't make sure Zazie Beats was okay because it wouldn't <laughs> be through Arthur's perspective. And so we get the twist that Penny might've been lying about everything um, because she, you know, she was severely mentally ill and, you know, uh, Arthur was abused, not necessarily by her own hand, but kind of from negligence. But then we get, this really subtle thing a little bit later where he's looking at this photo of his mother. And then on the back of it, it says, I love your smile, TW. That's what I was. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And so there, I mean, talk about unreliable narrator. Like no one's a reliable narrator in this movie. And Todd Phillips fails once again to commit one way or the other. Well, and that's the thing, right? Because this movie does not want to fully commit to being an empathetic trail of mental health. They it doesn't shy away from making him a, hor- a horrifying person, mm-hmm. and it ultimately when you have in the in the early half a very empathetic portrayal of mental illness and of someone who is not getting the services that they need, and someone who is beat down when they just need a a nice person. Which, by the way, Gary, who is the only person who is supposedly nice to Arthur, Arthur was not once nice to him. No. <laughs> besides not killing him. That scene Arthur- is horrible, too, where <laughs> Gary tries to unlock the door. It, is that supposed like, to be a joke? Yes. Yes, that is clearly supposed to be so a little in a movie there. where we're supposed to empathize with mental illness, uh, physical disability, uh, be damned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, and here's the thing, and maybe this is why this movie is praised, is that America doesn't like to talk about mental illness as a society, (laughs) unless there's the threat of a mentally ill person harming them. Mm. And this is 
kind of the whole incel culture thing too, which is like the only reason we take incel seriously is because we think they might hurt someone. And so women are, yeah. And women are told you can't say no to someone because he might kill you mm. or you're, or white men are constantly like, uh, fed their egos are fed and they're not told no, because we're afraid, you know, and then when someone does commit horrible acts, we're like, they must've been mentally ill. Yeah. Why is America only interested in psychopathy <laughs> and not yeah. like the myriad of other mental illnesses, which we should be equally sympathetic to, even though um, I'm not going to kill anyone. Don't plan on it. Don't think I ever will. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's, it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. Are we, are we out to solve the issues of, or is Todd Phillips to reframe it? Does he want, what is, Do, what does he well, think about that? Well, and take Todd Phillips out of the equation. Mm-hmm. This movie is loved. And in a lot of the reviews I've seen, especially from these really high audience portrayals, it's from people who are saying, thank God this movie exists and can shed light on an important issue. And like, it, take the intention away from it. The outcome is that people are seeing this movie and saying, oh man, that made me really sad for this mentally ill person. His life was so hard to the point where he murdered a bunch of people and became a villain, a literal comic book villain. That's, a, that's an interesting way to view it because I, I saw it as like heroic when I first watched it. It wasn't so much a descent into madness as it was a descent into freedom, freedom from society and overpowering the society and sort of rising above it. But I mean, but how is society portrayed in this movie? <laughs> People of color, women, <laughs> and the rich. Yeah, but that's how that's how Todd Phillips framed it. Or that's how it was framed for me when I saw it. Joker it was a hero. He wasn't someone to be pitied. But then you get into the problems of if he's a hero, then like are we glor then yes, are we glorifying that like the means to freedom are the acts of violence he commits are really they're very violent. Uh-huh. And besides the three dudes on the train, the people he kills aren't even people. He doesn't kill Thomas Wayne. He kills his mom. True. <laughs> kills this talk show host who made fun of him. Yeah. But is that like a killable offense? I think for me, it comes down to the framing of some of those scenes, the montage. It's like you said, we're always on. We're never looking down on him. We're always either at his level or looking up. The way, I can't remember which montage it was specifically. It was the one where the modern song was playing, where he just looks like a total badass. Like, you're like, oh, this guy's so fucking cool. But he just, like, murdered a bunch of people. It's a really weird dissonance. And then the scene at the end in where he gets out of the cop car and he has all these people kind of around him sort of, like, worshipping him. It feels like it could so easily play into someone, someone's fantasy of I'm going to be really, I'm going to be fucked up like this guy. No, I, I agree. And I guess what I'm saying is I, I see the framing of him as a hero. I personally do not see him as a hero and I'm, yes. horif- I'm horrified okay, yes, by yes, it. Yes, yes, No, I feel that way too. <laughs> okay. I was like, but I'm just saying the movie is kind of guiding you to that. It's like Stefan. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, maybe more mentally ill people than I thought are going to kill a bunch of people. I don't know. <laughs> no. No. I, yeah. Well, and that's what... 
And this is, again, I can't figure out what the movie wants because I think a lot of people came out of this movie being like that poor guy. And, and, you know, if you take, if you take the actual camera angles out of it, he's literally being kicked. It's true. Like the writing isn't nuanced. It's not subtle. It's just people being like, you, you fucking idiot or whatever. But but he, he, he brings himself up beyond that. And he, he goes through with what he ultimately decides to, or wants to do. And he's not punished for it at Mm. all. No, and th- and this is what I this is really what I want to get into, and I don't mean by like actual classification. I mean by what the movie gives us. Is he actually mentally ill, or is he insecure and sad? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> because, and I I do I don't want to. The laughing thing is a, a bit of a slightly different thing. Mm-hmm. Through research, this is a, a real condition. Some folks have said that his laugh is actually very accurate to that condition. Mm. So, you know, we'll take, and, and that's like a neurological response, right? Yes. But as far as like his delusions, is that the delusion of someone who got hit on the head as a kid? Which also, I mean, that's another thing. It's like yes. conflating his mental illness with like brain damage, basically, mm. which. <laughs> All of the, a lot of portrayals of mental illness in this movie are fucking garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but. Here's the thing. So we're we're like led to believe he doesn't understand social cues. He doesn't know, like he can't understand a punchline to a joke when he's like laughing at the wrong time in, you know, in, um, in the standup act. But all it takes really is him getting a gun and suddenly he's snarky and he knows how to deal it out to people and like makes puns like, Oh, I forgot to clock out. And like in his head, he like can, he puts together like jokes, like he hears them in his head. That's not like the sign of someone who doesn't understand what a joke is. Uh And it's like, there's actually beyond that. And just being beyond people flat out saying you're mentally ill as maybe, and maybe that's it. Maybe in that scene of the social work where he's like, well, that's what people tell me. People tell me I'm mentally ill. Maybe that's the movie telling us he's not actually mentally ill. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) He's just a fucking incel loner. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, it seems like his, his illness is being through the lens of the movie is being a nice guy, Mm. which I mean, we don't even have the time in the world to go into the whole nice guy doesn't get treated nice back. And so then I guess he can take it out in the world and it's okay. Yes. And yeah, I mean, again, and I'm not, I'm not a mental health expert. I, you know, I can't classify it, but it doesn't seem like there are any indicators except some very broad strokes of people saying he's mentally ill Uh and some like character traits that like, to me, feel like they're abandoned as soon as he really gets confidence. Like that's what he gets. Interesting. Yeah. And if can... that's the case, then yeah, he's just a psychopath who's like it, it. He gets attracted to the gun really easily. This movie does a good job of showing how just like possession of a gun can really like <laughs> change everything. He gets a gun. He suddenly gets confident. He's like actually pretty good at clowning. Like, is is he depressed? Is that it? I mean, not, again, not to say that's it, but like in the scheme of all of the things that occur in this movie, are we like seven medications for depression and laughing? It, it's especially interesting when this movie's definition of mentally ill is like people 
tied to stretchers and convulsing or yeah, a guy so hitting his head yeah, against yeah. the wall in an insane asylum. Right. Which is like very much of the comic book portrayal of insanity, which like, I don't like that, but I do understand its place. It's cartoonish. Yes. This is not a cartoon. And this movie is really actively trying to not be a cartoon. But to the question, why did this get praised? And this is why I want to circle back. Why do people, I think it's praised because people only care about a mental illness that is kind of scary, but one that they also feel is preventable. One that is caused by quote unquote society. Uh Uh-huh which isn't mental illness. It's just bad circumstances. The bullied at school syndrome. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm depressed. I can't help it. Uh, (laughs) Therapy helps a little. So do pills. Girl can't help it. Girl can't help it. It does. Yeah. And no one, no one cares about that. (laughs) No one wants to see my movie. where like, you know, I get by. Yeah. (laughs) Got some bad days, some better days, you know, and I, I, I take a pill every day and uh, I see a therapist and I'm not very, you know, and I, I've, I've been in a, a psychiatric ward. There's some people with some very serious afflictions. There are people with delusions. This is not, this isn't what it looks like. <laughs> it's not feeling wronged or feeling like you have to like stalk this girl because you imagine a whole relationship with her. That is a separate disease. Your mental illness can maybe compound it, but it's a separate disease. That is more a societal affliction for sure. So are we saying that this movie actually is about society? (laughs) Oh, we are living in the society that this movie also lives in. (sighs) Yes. I'm sorry to say it. It's a very timely movie. Um, and this is a good time to jump to our, our, we're going to, we're going to close this out soon. I promise. Yes. Um, but, uh, one last time, just a little bit more about, uh, sister Afia community mental wellness in Chicago and how you can help. Hello again, listeners. We want to thank you for sticking around with us. If you've made it this far, you have, uh, endured far more than Arthur Fleck did in his entire very tragic sad 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 uh life and if you've endured this much i just hope you don't decide to take it out through uh unnecessary violence and that you get some mental health uh services and speaking of mental health services let's talk a little bit again about sister afia community mental wellness that's Sister Afia, which is a Chicago Southside-based Black woman-owned organization that works to sustain mental wellness for Black women. Now we've got a pandemic going on. We've got uh, police violence, state and federal sanctioned violence, and you know these are pretty rough times right now. And it's really important amongst all of this that we all find mental health resources. Very often, Black, Indigenous, and uh, communities of color are often left to the wayside in having these resources. Sister Afia together uh, ensures that Black women across the African diaspora can sustain mental wellness through connecting to resources and supporting one another. They support this mission with mental wellness education, resource connection, community support, and mental wellness merchandise. You can go get yourself a coloring book and journal right now if you want to. You can go out and get yourself a coloring book and a journal right now and just color and zone out and unplug. (laughs) 
because Arthur was too plugged in. You might feel too plugged in, too. Get these things and support by visiting SistaAfia.com. That's Sista, S-I-S-T-A, Afia, A-F-Y-A, dot com. You can join their mailing list, you can learn more about their services, and you can donate to help support these essential services. Black Lives Matter. Black Women Matter. Black Mental Health Matters. And now, one last time, let's finish up this Joker conversation. All right, Stefan. Yeah. We got to wrap this shit up. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this has been, been five hours or something. <laughs> is it just me or is it getting crazier out there? Um, oh, God. So. Yeah, it really is. Why did this movie get praised? Um, I think it got praised because, um, because it's everything. Yes. It's a little something for everyone. And, and, and just enough to make... Like, so you can't make a mistake that that thing is there in the movie, but it's vague enough where you can still project all of your ideology about it onto it. You can say that you can point to specific aspects, say, yes, that's brilliant. I agree with that, regardless of what side you're on. Yeah. Because the movie comes to no point about anything. It brings these things up, but we'll never resolve them or never make a statement on them. And I think even in this conversation, we found ourselves multiple times being like, was that even in the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Was that, was that me? Um, And I think that's the other thing people like it. It's praised because it's a troll. And yes, you know, in, in a, in a culture where we're very upset about having to be PC or censorship, something that dares to show such aggressive violence and to show such an unadulterated performance from Joaquin Phoenix and to say everything feels landmark, even though it's maybe possibly the emptiest movie you've ever God, seen. God, I felt like nothing was landmark about that at all. No, but I, you know, I, after talking about it, I guess I can kind of see why someone might. And, and yeah, if you're like a, a Todd Phillips guy, this feels landmark. This feels landmark for him. Uh-huh. If you're a Joaquin Phoenix guy, this is the big performance. If you're that, like, a superhero movie, yeah, guy. this is a game changing thing. If you mm. want to see, if you want to see society talked about in a movie, like this is your movie. So it's like I, I do understand. I think I understand after this conversation why this movie got praised. What do we like about Joker? What do we actually like about it? What would you praise? I like uh, Joaquin's performance. Ultimately, yeah, um, yeah, I. I don't like it as much as I didn't think it was super Oscar worthy or the best performance of the year, but it was solid. That seems to be the standout. Yeah. I like Sassy Beats. God, she's so good. I want her in everything. (laughs) I was looking at her filmography. She's actually done like a lot of not very good movies. Um, You know what I actually really like? I really like the third act of this movie. Mm. I like this third act of this movie without considering the two acts that precede it because they don't when you try to relate them to each other that's when you get a really a huge clusterfuck but like as someone who liked the dark knight i do like when you go in really like dark directions it does go really dark once he starts killing people i don't like his monologue at the talk show but taking that away i the whole mood of the third act i think is the right amount of horrifying it's what i want from a joker movie I think your problem in the first place is trying to make Joker a character where it's about mental illness. Uh But like the third act is like the chaotic, really like evil 
Joker that I yes. want. And I think the, the Dark Knight Joker. Yeah. And I think when you look at that part, I mean, I also think Gary's reaction to seeing Randall get murdered in the room is is perfect. Yeah. It's really horrifying, but him just going, oh my God, Arthur, <laughs> why did you do that? Is <laughs> really great. Yeah. Um, and I do want to give movie credit for that. And I want to say, we talked about this a little bit after we saw it, because since this is my second time, there's something about this movie that's very rewatchable mm. in the sense of like, it's very, there's constant action. It's very, it keeps you glued to the screen but it's also something that can easily become familiar, put in the back. If you're like on the second watch, becoming more familiar with it. It's something that like, I'm not particularly fond of this movie and I could still see like if it's free and available and I just like want to put a movie on, I might put it on. Yeah. Because ultimately I think it it does serve on the entertainment level. Last but not least, what's our verdict? Is it, is it worthy of Um, praise? Well, I'm, I was ready to write this movie off completely um, after the first viewing as um, sort of meaningless connections of random ideas. Mm -hmm. But after we talked about it a little, I'm willing to give it a little more leeway as having maybe the foundation of an interesting movie just built up in the entirely wrong direction. Directions, plural. Um, so, um, I do not think overall it's worthy of praise. Yeah. I, I think when we were watching the movie together, uh, last night, I was like, oh, holy shit. And I think part of it was anticipating your reaction to the movie too, of like, <laughs> there's so much here. And after talking about it, there, there's a lot of things there. There's a blueprint for something. It, it's such a surreal viewing experience to me maybe because it's gaslighting you the whole time or it's trying to is it felt everything felt so surreal there was an utter lack of self-awareness because everything was so earnest that really kind of put me off that it kind of felt like cats to me watching cats for the first time felt like watching this movie just a total like what the fuck is going on here kind of thing well and i would say watching Joker for the second time for me was like watching cats for the second time for me where I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm almost having fun. Yeah. (laughs) This is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. I wouldn't even say it's a bad movie. It's a really well-made movie. It's probably at its worst an irresponsible movie. Uh Um, I know that's like the uncool thing to say. I don't think incels are going to light people up because of this movie but I do think it has an irresponsible portrayal of a lot of the things that might be also trying to have something important to say. Yes. Um, final score, Stefan, how much do you think this movie got praised? Um, I'm going to give it four and a half praises out of five. Four and a half out of five. Yes. I think This movie, I think, was really big award season for reasons I could not comprehend at the time from what I was hearing about it. And that's why I'm giving it that score. I'm going to go just a little under, I'm going to go four praises out of five. I think it was loud and I don't necessarily know how much of that equates to praise, especially seeing that um, critics weren't actually that fond of it, but obviously something about the messaging in this movie 
was important to people and it, it struck people as an important movie and it's maybe the least important movie I've ever seen. But <laughs> And what would you give this movie, praise-wise? Uh, praise-wise, I'm going to give it one and a half praises out of five. The, I was going to give it one, but us talking about it today, going to tack on that extra half dick butt. Just the dick portion, <laughs> not Just the butt. Tip. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this is hard. This is kind of how I felt when I first saw the movie, which is I think I was mad when watching it. And, you know, my, my boyfriend, Joe, can attest. I came out of it kind of being like, maybe I liked it. I don't know. And for some reason, I was so upset about this movie when we first started talking about it. And after talking about it, I'm like, maybe I liked it. I don't know. Wow. That's um, the journey. I don't hate it. And for that, I'm, again, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cheat and just, just, just slightly move off of you. And I'm gonna <laughs> give it two crazies out of five. Perfect. I'm gonna give it both balls. Both balls. Nice. Well, there we go. Well, thank you everyone for joining us um, mm-hmm. in our it inaugural episode. What a way to start this off. And I know. I'm, I'm so It was happy. probably the worst way possible, actually. <laughs> I'm so happy to be doing this with you, Stefan. Yeah, we met. Oh. Almost exactly 10 years ago. It's been 10 years? In a high school film class. Oh my God. I know, we were so Beautiful. young. And uh, we, we bonded over our love of movies, and we're going to keep bonding here. Yes. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about David Fincher's Fight Club. Sick. In many ways, a similar movie, and in many ways, a very different movie. <laughs> and a movie I've also never seen. Oh, shit. We're going to have to do one I haven't seen after that. Yeah, we'll Um, have to, just for balance. Thank you for listening. Remember, for each listen, up to $50, we're going to donate $2 to Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness. We hope you consider supporting them as well. Please check that out. Love you. Love you. God God love you. XOXO. (laughs) 420, praise it. I'm a cool mom. (laughs) You can follow us uh, at praise pod that's praise underscore pod on instagram and twitter we're going to be posting more updates including information about some of the organizations we're going to be supporting additionally in between each episode release we're going to do a uh, kind of a deleted scenes episode where you'll hear some of the things that didn't make it into the full length conversation but some extra conversations about the movie as well as some uh, some kind of trivia games or kind of goofy games that we've played that are around the movie for instance uh i played for stefan uh a game which is uh who said the quote anakin skywalker or arthur fleck from joker and until next time praise responsibly You know how I know that you're gay?